Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, as always, joined by Jay Gilbert. Hey, Michael. How you doing? Doing well, you know, getting through it. Another Groundhog's Day. It's all right. Exactly, exactly. Is it ever going to change? I hope so. I, I'm, I've, I'm forever optimistic, so Me too. yes. It will. When? I don't know, but it will change. This too shall pass, my friend. We shall get through this. Um, You know, so before we get into this week's incredibly insightful discussion with our special guest, just a quick shout out. Thank you, Hypebot and Bands in Town for everything you you do, uh, share and support the show. And DiscMakers.com, I want to give you a huge shout out. Thank you for the continued sponsorship. Um, we know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musician. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD vinyl, t-shirts, online, and eventually at your gigs again has become an important income generator. For every CD you sell, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. That's a lot. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So we put together a cool little offer with Disc Makers for all of our listeners and viewers out there. Head over to DiscMakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out in the promo code box, enter FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and you will save up to $150 in shipping costs. So head over to discmakers.com, free biz, and save some money while you order some CDs. So uh, who's our special guest this week, Jay? I am a huge fan of our guest today. Her name is Sherry Hu, and a very insightful conversation. Um, I think you'll get a lot out of this. You should watch it to the end. Yep, let it roll. And today, um, we're thrilled to have Sherry Hu join us. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan. Sherry is an award-winning journalist, researcher who covers music, technology, and business. She publishes the Water and Music newsletter and podcast. Plus, she has an, uh, an awesome Patreon, which I am a subscriber. Thank you very much. Yeah, Sherry, thank thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Both as well. Thank you. Good to see you. So, holy cow, so much going on since the last time we talked. But before we kind of dig into that, I saw something on your website that I wasn't um, aware of. You're writing a book. I am, yes. Tell me about that. Yes, trying to in in this moment. How's that going? (laughs) It's It's been going better. I've like gotten into more of a flow in terms of getting a certain amount of writing in um, uh-huh. every day and every week. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've for the last uh, half year to a year, I've been doing research for a book about the intersection of independent artists and tech entrepreneurship. So awesome. thinking about, yeah, thinking about the, the concept of an artist as a startup. Um, how does that then impact every step of, um, or every part of the music industry? from yeah. creating a song for the first time to then marketing and distributing it and engaging with fans, et cetera. Wow. I, I love, I love, I love, I love that because Jay and I have said many times that, you know, a band is nothing more than, than a, a business startup. And you've got yeah. to look at it that way because you're an entrepreneur as a rock star. You're an entrepreneur. 
if you don't realize it. And, you know, like every business, you don't make money necessarily day one that you start your business. It could be years of loss before you turn the corner and bands got to approach it the same way. Yeah. And it's about protecting that brand too, right, Sherry? I mean, I look at some of the bands that are out today, like, you know, whether you see all these t-shirts with the Ramones and Kiss and Cheap Trick and some of these, I I don't think that when they started, they knew they were going to be these massive brands. You know, Um, I've seen some of my daughter's friends, you know, wearing some of these shirts who some of them haven't even heard the bands. They just think the logos are cool, you know, and Mm. they know that they're kind of retro, but they've, they've become these big brands. And, you know, I think that, you have to, like, to Michael's point, you have to treat your, whether you're a band or, or a recording artist, you have to kind of treat that like a brand. Is, is that kind of, do you agree with that? Yeah, um, I definitely agree with it. And uh, yeah, in, in the process of doing research for this book, it's been um, super interesting to see uh, where, where, like, I guess two philosophies for like artists versus tech founders or any startup founders where they do and do not intersect and things that uh, that artists are already doing today that um, have direct parallels in the tech world, but they don't use the same kind of terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one example where there is some kind of debate, at least on the music side, is um, to, to what extent you should be listening to or keeping in mind what your fans want when Mm -hmm. making and promoting your music. Um, And for, I think for virtually any other kind of industry, um, they're increasingly thinking about the customer. It's like how they put it, right? Always serving the customer's needs. Um, There's a ton of user research that goes into like every single feature of every single tech product nowadays. Whereas in music, Mm -hmm. it's at least historically, it's been quite different. I think there's like artists, uh, I think understandably and in many cases rightfully so uh, like take a lot of pride in not necessarily uh, catering to or serving anybody else when making their music. It's like coming from a place of self-expression. Right. Um, and then maybe in the marketing and promotion, uh, marketing promotional process, they'll do a bit more research on fans. But even, but even then the, at least from what I've seen, the research is more like, it's much more lean back. It's just monitoring what people are talking about and how people are listening. It's not like doing direct interviews um, with potential users for a product the same way that like a tech founder would. So um, yeah, it's one in the case of music, I don't know if one is necessarily better than the other, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see these like differences in, I think, yeah, it all just goes back to like the value that also fans see in music. It's not always like this music is serving you know, this specific pain point or problem that I have. It, it, very, right. it very much can be that, that way, sure. but it's usually framed in a more abstract emotional sense. Whereas like with yeah. a piece of software, usually it's much more utilitarian and you can kind of nail down the function that it's serving right. much more easily. I, 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 a couple things I want to comment on. One, and this is just a side comment. Let's never forget, wasn't it Steve Jobs who said the customer has no idea what they want? Yeah. Right. So, so right. He, he's, he's not listening. To, he wasn't going to listen to the customer because they don't know what they want. I'm going to tell you what you need. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to the, to the other point of do you listen to your fans, that, that, that's, 
something, you know, having a, I've got a pod, another podcast besides this one, which is a music podcast about Kiss. I've worked with Kiss. I've been in the fan community a long time with many bands. And that's the constant battle of the fans think they are telling the artist what to do, what they want. Mm. And, and the artists, to, and, and sort of my, my view, are playing the marketing game of, yes, you know, Gene Simmons is famous for saying this, we work for you. We work mm-hmm. for you. You are our bosses. But to some extent, I think that's lip service. That's what the fan wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think when it comes to especially music, because it's such a creative endeavor, you can't, and this is what I've learned through my other podcast, you really can't put too much effort into doing what your fans want because you've got one fan that wants it and you've got another fan that doesn't want it. So who are you going to make happy? You've got, mm-hmm. you know, somebody is always going to be unhappy if mm-hmm. you're making one fan happy. Another fan is going to be upset that you changed what they already love. And, and from my, my experience with my other podcast, it's all about what I want. As the creative person, I need to create something that makes me happy, makes me fulfilled, that I will be able to have my name on for eternity because it's on the right. internet now, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. because some fan wanted it. And, and, and you, may, you may not get this reference, but Jay will definitely get it. Um, back in the early 80s, Kiss did an album called Music from the Elder. And it was a concept album produced by Bob Ezrin, who had just gotten done with producing The Wall. And Kiss wanted to do that because they wanted to show critics and fans that they, they were a real the band. They wanted the acclaim. They wanted to be taken seriously. And it was the biggest flop of their career because they mm. stopped doing mm. what they wanted and they mm. tried to do what they thought mm. other people wanted. So it, yeah. it, it is, and I see this all the time. I'm sure we all do in bands. It's a tough battle because as an artist, you are getting beat up almost daily as, as you get bigger, you're getting beat up almost daily by fans going, I don't like this. I want that change this, do this, do that. And the easy solution for an artist is to just give in and say, yes, okay, I'll do that. I think it's actually quite hard to say, no, I'm sticking to what I believe in, and it might upset some people. Mm. Yeah, now now that um, now that I think about it, and hearing you say all that, I guess if if you were to frame the value of music or like an artist output as a service, um, having it come from a genuine and authentic place is a really important part of that. Yeah, like people sure. are tuning into. Yeah, people really like their favorite artists because they yeah in many cases because they're standing up for what they believe in or are expressing what they feel or think about the current world or the current situation without any kind of filter or any kind of inhibition and so yeah I guess as an artist at the most extreme level to to have any kind of like outside or to have too much outside influence on what you're making also like 
dilutes the service that you're offering to fans in the first place. Exactly. Because I've told a couple artists, I'm like, you know, you can go in the studio and record whatever you want, but when you're done, make sure you actually love what you just did Mm. because Mm. it's your name that's on that product. It's not Mm. my name. My opinion about what you think, what I think it is, really means very little because for the next eternity, my name is not on your title on that CD. Mm, it will forever yeah. be yours and you will forever be associated with whatever happened to that music. Did mm. it, you know, Kiss is forever associated to music from the elder, whether they, and, and the band has come right out and said it was pretty much a big mistake and, you know, they don't like it and everything else. Mm. But as an artist, that's what you've got to contend with it. Cause and we know you've got marketing people and label people and agents and promoters pounding an artist going, do this, do this, do this. This is the way you're going to succeed. But you've got to stick to your guns and go, uh-uh, that's not who I am. I don't believe in that. And it might, might upset somebody on your team and they may even stop working with you. But it's your career. It's your life you know, as an artist. Now, a, a actual startup company, I think needs to follow that to some extent, but not nearly as much because if you're creating a product, you know, like this, it's got to work. It does a finite set of things, basically. And it either is broken or it's not broken. It's either working or it's got a bug or whatever. And you can listen to your customers about that type of stuff. But, you know, when the iPhone was first released, how could any of us say what we wanted a phone to be? Because nobody other than Steve Jobs really had the vision of this. Mm. Yeah, and there's, um, well, actually, Steve Jobs is an exception to this, but when you're saying, like, how the artist's name is always going to be tied to to the song or to the album, um, that's not the case uh, for the most part in the tech world. So like right. there, yeah, like right. there are lots of people who are serial entrepreneurs who um, keep gr- like making really interesting products that fail for whatever reason, but they can make another one and like, yep. you know, mm-hmm. find other team members. Um, yeah. And there's like, and there's a ton of like valuable learning that comes from that process. Yeah. Whereas I feel like it's harder to do or at least harder to deal with on the music side because the, product quote unquote the brand is so personal like it is yes. tied to to the human being um to, to to the individual artist so um yeah. yeah it's just harder to decouple that um to i guess to the point where you can also have a more detached view on right. how to build the product as well yeah. right and everybody's needs are a little bit different i know talking with artists and managers you know well let's take artists for example they have one career but their manager may be managing 20 careers and their mm. label could be managing 300 careers, right? I'm really fascinated with your opinions on and your experience on, you know, brands and, and especially tech because I think of, uh, for example, a friend of mine um, is a general manager of a car dealership and he cannot understand the music industry. He, he says things to me like, why would you discount your hottest selling releases? Because he'll see in you know Walmart or Target or whatever, there's an end cap and here's the hits of the day and they're super low priced. He, and he 
leaves mm-hmm. them in a circular or whatever. Now I know that's physical and it's kind of old school, but it, it begs a question, you know, that's so different than his business. If he has a car that's really selling well, he's going to add more money. It's supply and demand. He's going to add right, yeah. more money onto that because his supply is kind of small and he wants to maximize that. What's, what are some of the things that you're learning when you're looking at some of these tech companies? Is there kind of this conflict with the music industry because of the way that artists and labels and management and distribution kind of do their business as opposed to the way a tech startup might? Mm. Yeah, pricing, pricing is interesting because um, I, I guess physical uh, physical sales and to an extent online um, marketplaces like Bandcamp do allow artists to control their price. But in a streaming world, artists basically don't have that control. That's um, yeah, I think because it's very much like a commodity leaning system, artists just distribute their music to, you know, whatever platforms they want to. And then um and then just, I guess, in doing that, accept whatever the royalty rate is at the time and mm-hmm. hope that they generate enough streams to get paid enough to help, you know, fund their careers, pay their bills, et cetera. So I think that's that's one, like, that's one of the first conflicts that comes to mind in terms of um, control over pricing. And then related to that in terms of the, the streaming services. So uh, interestingly, there, there's someone from outside of music who I was talking with recently um, and he'd said that he, so he was more in like the retail and e-commerce world. And he said that he was interested in studying the music industry um, because he thought that it was the most uh, quote unquote direct to consumer industry. It was one of the most direct to consumer, direct to fan industries. Um, And the more I thought about that, the more I disagreed in this, in the specific context of streaming, because streaming is not, yeah, there's direct a to fan by any means. Yeah, it's no. like it's like a very clear wall. Like both <laughs> yeah. both both in terms of money, right? Like in terms of um, how your monthly subscription is divided, Data. and then um, also just in the amount of direct interaction um, and engagement you're able to have as the user with the artist. Like, there's right. no, um, yeah, there's no real way to do that on a Spotify or Apple Music. And so no. you're essentially forced to go off platform to more generalist um, social media platforms for the most part, like Instagram and Facebook. Right. Um, right. And what's interesting is that like Spot- Spotify over the past year has been introducing a bunch of different features that that are trying to create the impression of closer engagement. So whether it's like, they, they've been testing uh, like various forms of stories um, like on songs for a while um, that like allow artists to give more context behind their songs. Sure. Um, they're testing, uh, I guess like an ad product that allows artists to like reach out to their more loyal fans to say like, hey, I have a new release out or, or they're, they're doing this with, um, with like pre-sales for, they were doing this with pre-sales for tours mm. in the past couple of years. Yeah. But like these are all like features, but it doesn't get, it, it, it doesn't solve the fundamental issue in my mind yeah, yeah. that like you can't, you still can't have that engagement anyway. Like it's still mm-hmm. um, taking people off platform. Um, right. Yeah. And if right. anything, like, sorry. Well, I was just going to say like, like yeah. I love 
bands in town because I can reach out to my trackers yes. directly, send them yeah. a message. That's so rare in this business. Yeah. Um, there are retail outlets, large ones, where you can pay for a mass email to like competitive um, fans, but they won't tell you exactly who it's going to, how many, open mm -hmm. rate, click through, any of that. But Bands in Town is pretty cool in that you can do that, but you can also say, you know, the people who like my album, you know, I think they're, you know, maybe it's fans of the Chainsmokers. Now I can target their fans. And one of the things that's so frustrating about DSPs is what you're describing is that, you know, I'm helping you build this platform with my fans, but I can't easily and directly reach out to those fans and have that dialogue or communication. Mm. Yeah. And um, I think especially looking at the past four months and um, just how, how it's disrupted, uh, I mean, everyone's behavior and especially f uh, fan behavior. It's been interesting to see like, in terms of artists and managers' mindsets, like what value they're putting onto different kinds of platforms. So, um, so I guess with with the exception of maybe like a a big like new album that's coming out, I'm not really seeing artists directing um, their fans to Spotify as much, really like, intentionally, or like yeah, like with again like with the exception of a new album release because well, so especially in March and April. I feel like yeah. artists and, and managers as well were, um, I mean, just because like touring is, was still is very much off the table. They were looking for like online sources of revenue that um, sure. did not just, but yeah, online channels that did not just allow for engagement, but also revenue in a way mm -hmm. that was like, I think more direct and immediate than um, a dominant streaming service where you might, be waiting like a month or maybe a couple months um yeah. for royalties and the margins like obviously are not not as good um yeah. whereas with live streaming with, with something like live streaming as an example um you'll probably be reaching a smaller audience than you would if you like got placed on a major playlist or something but mm -hmm. in terms of the if if the, if the if the audience has like a lot of loyal fans in terms of the potential revenue in terms of like that real time engagement and feedback that you can get from a live yeah. streaming experience is just so much yeah. more powerful so oh, yeah yeah so I, i've just been hearing more about like instagram and twitch um i might be biased by just like my immediate like circle of, of artists but um i mean also bandcamp I've been hearing mm -hmm. much much more about bandcamp yeah i would say that then about spotify i think also just for a similar reason of revenue being able to go to the, uh, get to the artist or to the label a lot more quickly. Um, yeah, more directly. Sure. Yeah, whereas with Spotify, um, there's a payment delay and then there's the just absence of uh, engagement or like yeah. any avenues for engagement. Well, you know, so, yeah. so, so, you know, when a Spotify first launched, it wasn't what I would call great social engagement, but you had the ability to direct message other users within the platform. Right. Mm -hmm. They removed that. We know that Apple has made two attempts to include social networking within their music world. Both yeah. failed. Um, why do you think these services are either avoiding it, don't get it, aren't committed to it? What, what's going on? Because 
I I mm. tend to think it if it's done right, it could be phenomenal because as a music fan, I'd love to hang out with other music fans in a music environment. Mm. Rather than yeah. Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Totally. Yeah. Uh it's a really good question. I think let's see. So so for Spotify, um, yeah, I, I'd used the inbox feature like a handful of times. So I was surprised that um I was personally surprised to see that they they like removed it a couple of years ago. And uh-huh. it was allegedly due to low usage um relative to other features, which is a it's standard way of making decisions in, in the tech world. Um, so, so based on that and also based on the decisions Spotify has been making, um, in, in recent years, whether on the music side or also on the podcast side, um, it seems that they're trying to increasingly, um, reach the mainstream lean back listener and, and in particular to reach the, uh, the terrestrial radio listener who maybe has not used a streaming service yet. I think like that, that's their new goalpost. Um, I know, I know the CEO, Daniel Eck has like talked about, uh, yeah, like linear terrestrial radio kind of being the next frontier or at least like the next biggest competitor for them. Um, and like music and podcasts work together really well for that. And, um, yeah, and I guess like that typical listener is may, may be a fan, like a really big fan of some artists, but, um, I guess does not really see or does not really see a use in like a specific um, messaging feature for music, like in Spotify that they can't already access like elsewhere on their platforms. But, but, and and, that, and that, that's a yeah. really good point because I'm a big fan of radio. I've always been for my entire life. And, you know, I've actually, I view classic DJs as rock stars. They were rock stars. Oh, to me. Absolutely. You know, the mm. great DJ that you would listen to every, every morning or every afternoon. Mm. Um, and to some extent before social networking existed, radio had sort of a social networking feel to it. Mm. You know, it was yeah. a DJ talking to everybody. You had the ability, if you were lucky to talk to the DJ calling into the request line, or you would go to one of the many live events they would do, and you'd go out there and hang with them. But you'd more importantly hang with other fans yeah. of the station, a community, and it became a community yeah. led by and, an influencer and and you know, you know and, and playlists. And, and, yeah, I can see <laughs> I can see the reason why they would want to go after terrestrial radio, but I've always said what. Radio can't compete with the Spotify's of the world when it comes to music because Mm. Spotify will know what music I like better than any radio station ever will. But Mm. Mm. Spotify can't compete with radio when it comes to personality. Yeah. That's what, and sadly that's what radio is starting to get rid of, but it's the personality that mm. I love on radio, even if it's only a 30-second break between songs, but that person, that DJ coming on and saying something about the song and dropping a little tidbit is great personality. I don't know how Spotify or any of these services is going to compete with that when they're trying to automate everything computer it put everything into algorithms and mm. and auto generated and then again not allowing any social networking to exist yeah 
you know, yeah. as a fan, I want to network with other fans. That's yeah. what it comes and, and, down know, to. Apple is doing that a little bit. You know, they, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. Um, you know, with with Beats One and some of their, they've got some um, some talent there. They've got personality, and they're doing some of those things. My only complaint there is that it's fairly limited as far as kind of genre and mood. Yep, it's one format. Yeah, and mm. I would love to there, because today there are experts out there in garage rock or power pop or you know thrash metal or classical or whatever it is there are experts out there that are passionate about what they do and curating and we find them online i i can't help but think that spotify apple music deezer these folks could really benefit from having that personality that michael's alluding to you do you know if anyone's really taking that seriously, going after it. I do know that there's that one streaming service, um, Music Aficionado, which is phenomenal and is really, um, it's like a magazine, actually. You know, there's articles on all of these things that drive you deeper into it, into the narrative, which I think is really powerful, but it's just not at the scale. It's not at the level yet of some of these other DSPs. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, it's it's a super interesting, uh, I guess, like, angle through which to view, mm-hmm. like, yeah, everything that Spotify has done. So, my, my if, from what I remember, like, two to three years ago, Spotify actually leaned super heavily into personality in the sense of having a lot of um, public-facing playlist curators, like, at Tumabasa, who used yep. to work at Spotify and leather yep. hip hop curation. He was like, I saw him at conferences everywhere. Um, he was like, yeah, definitely like one of the most public, like yeah. I'll say even more than, than Daniel Ek to an extent, at yeah. least in like the music industry. Um, in certain circles, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Alison yeah, Hagendorf, yeah, yeah. some of those folks. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll say even like when, when Spotify was expanding their Nashville office to an extent, their curators had like pretty public faces as well. But um, now that's kind of taken a backseat, I think in, in part because uh, people like Tuma left Spotify and I think in general with their strategy, they're not necessarily trying to, um, yeah, like have their playlist curators like be that out there and like yeah. that public. Um, yeah. But now all of that interest and personality has totally switched to the podcast side. So they just announced a deal with Michelle Obama or so she's like going to yeah. launch her podcast on Spotify yeah. exclusively, um, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, they have the, Joe they have the Joe Rogan deal. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have, they're just spending a lot of money to get these really high profile. Do they have water and music on, on Spotify? <laughs> <laughs> not, not as exclusive. It is on there though. <laughs> if you want to come on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so they're they're most of these are non-musical personalities, but um, yeah, they're paying like really top dollar to have these uh, podcasts on their platform. Yeah. Um, but to to go back to like yeah, everything we're talking about with community, I feel like that is still going to be such an important and as of now missing element. So with 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 Joe Rogan especially, so he was uh, yeah basically exclusively on YouTube before. Um, still is for now and um, I feel like 
so much of the interesting part both of like listening to the podcast and like uh for someone like myself who doesn't really listen to it to it that much like seeing from the outside um it's just like looking at the comments and like how people mm-hmm. are reacting mm-hmm. to the podcast um ah, which is like yeah which is something that something like youtube um is like really well built for and i think that like so if if you look at music as well there are a lot of um like really good and like really fast growing music and media brands that were able to build natively on YouTube because of that simple feature of commenting. Um, I would say like in, in a previous like recent era, SoundCloud also served this function, like even being able to comment on songs in the way that was like timestamped, um, played a huge role in like in connecting with, um, fans and like fans seeing each other as well. Whereas, um, yeah, I, I don't know if Spotify is going to build something like that into their service by September, which is when the, the Joe Rogan podcast goes exclusive to them. Um, yeah. But it's just such a different experience, like to to watch a video. Uh, yeah, like, like to watch a video of a podcast without any other kind of engagement. Um, it, it, yeah. it, 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 yeah. it is very odd. And, you know, that's one of the things with my KISS podcast that is it's it's big. It's the community that listens and you know we we get tons of comments on YouTube, but we're also within the podcast because you know people might be listening on Spotify. It's one of our big listening outlets, or iTunes. And yeah, iTunes has the ability to leave a comment, but it's you know the the fan reviews in iTunes have never exploded into any sort of community. Right. Um, right. So we're always in our podcast driving people away from these platforms you're listening on to go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to leave yeah. your comments, answer our questions over here. Right. And, and, you know, great Spotify, you're doing podcasting and you've got music, but right now there's like a giant wall between the two of them. You're doing nothing to allow crossover. And mm. one mm. of the things that I think is very cool, if you haven't seen it yet, Jay and I had um, Station Head on as a guest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I visited their offices in... Love, oh, you I did? Love, I, love, yeah. I love that yeah. concept of, okay, so they're, they're taking Spotify's music or Apple music, but they're letting you be the DJ around it, and now you can cut in and do breaks and talk to people. Oh, yeah. and guess what? Cool. There's a live active chat room that's going on while this is happening. That, I mean, you know... That's what Spotify, in my opinion, needs to do. Mm. Just go, mm. go buy Stationhead and and wrap that technology into Spotify, and allow people to bring a podcast in and not just music. Mm. You know why why can't why can't my playlist be a mixture of podcasts and music and mm. podcasts? So that that is already possible. So you, now you, yes, so now you can make hybrid um, music and podcast playlists. Didn't know um, that. They didn't make it yeah. known. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty it's, new it's, though, right? Yeah, it's pretty new. I would say within the last yeah. um, half a year to a year. Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah. you can do that, but um, yeah, I agree that like the the back end of say if if you as an artist, you need have, feedback. You uh, need a feedback mechanism. With yeah, your, yeah. With your that is listeners. like very much not there. I think it's it's still yeah very much in the artist to um to make 
to make and announce those connections manually. Like, oh, I have an album on Spotify, but I also have a podcast or I'm in, I've done interviews in these podcast episodes and here's like a central place you can see them. That, that isn't, unless they make that playlist themselves, um, it's, that's not possible. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about something. I, I love your podcast and there, there was one of them, I think it was episode six where, and, and I wrote it down cause I thought it was really spot on. Um, it said artists are now launching pads for songs, not the other way around. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I find that really interesting. Oh, did we lose you? Did you freeze? Oh, are you back? Hello? Hi. Oh, sorry. You froze, froze, you froze for, like for a second. 10 seconds, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Did you hear the question? Um, I, I can say it, it cut out right as you're about to say the quote. Yeah, I was just I was just complimenting you on, on the, the podcast, which, which I really enjoy. And, and I was saying that I think it was episode six where you said, artists are now launching pads for songs, not the other way around. Mm. And, and I thought mm. that was a really interesting and accurate take. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I, I should say I um, I don't take credit for that idea that was um, taken from the guest in that podcast, Alex Bonavia, who works at Warner Music Group now, I believe. Um, but yeah, so so I think the the traditional um, way of breaking an artist, um, I'll say historically in the music industry, was to have um, just to make a really good hit song and like hope that the song takes off, um, gets into the billboard charts, tops it, et cetera. And then kind yeah. of build your fan base from there. Um, as some people would argue that, um, it like now more than ever is, um, is like a song based economy. It's like much more like a single based economy. And I think to, to an extent yeah. that is true, especially if you see like how songs go viral on TikTok and how that's, like a breeding ground for a lot of um, newer artists and newer groups um, and how like singles more than albums arguably are, are prioritized on Spotify. Um, I think that is definitely true, but what uh, I guess, so yeah, to give like a concrete example. So another thing that's happening is that um, people like influencers online who have nothing to do with music, at least initially um, are building audiences online in some other way, either through like a standard social media influencing career or um, one of the most extreme examples is um, this like virtual influencer named Lil Michaela, who like now has over 2 million followers on Instagram. And I would say like music is a small minority of what she's doing and like what, what she's posting or what the company behind her is posting. Um, but she like, through building that social platform built around non-musical elements like fashion or there's like very much a narrative behind Michaela in particular about like how she's navigating everyday life as a robot, um, et cetera. She's able to um, launch songs uh, through her platform, like to her audience um, that actually end up doing quite well because she already has a captive audience who likes her for, um, just for her mostly, like for her personality, for her backstory, um, not just for this one song. Um, and so like this song is just one element of a much, um, of a much wider, more holistic 
kind of fan experience and, and narrative around the artist. Um, and you're seeing for, uh, yeah, people have mixed feelings about this, but uh, I guess I guess record labels have been signing social media influencers for a while. Um, it's, yeah. it's like a pretty common trend of, um, yeah, like people going viral on Vine or increasingly on TikTok with, a, with um, some kind of catchphrase or, or some kind of song and then um, they sign them either to a single or an album deal immediately to like try to um, cash in on that virality. But uh, with the exception of Old Town Road, maybe um, that very rarely works. Like I've, I've very rarely seen an example of yeah. um, an artist's career um, surviving like at, at the same level, even like to like a close level to that. Um, yeah like kind of like, you know, looking like one to two years out, they're basically like not releasing that much or not doing that well anymore. Whereas if you start like not thinking about just like trying to immediately launch with a hit song, um, I guess building more slowly and more organically um, and building a fan base about something. Yeah, I guess building a community around something that transcends any one individual song. Cause I feel like otherwise- um, That's more sustainable. Exactly. It's more sustainable. Um, and yeah, it's like not putting all of your eggs in, in one basket. Yeah. 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 We always say, you know, a, a playlist is not a marketing plan. And it's so right, funny right. when you talk to artists and management these days, you know, they're so concerned about these, these playlists that they sometimes forget about things like publicity and sync and touring and all these other mm. aspects you know, they want that silver bullet, you know, they want that easy mm-hmm. thing. But, you know, I, I moderated a panel a while back uh, about the subject. And one of our guests from a major, uh, who was a GM of a major record company was saying that they don't think that way, because only about 25% of their spins were coming from DSP curated playlists. And they really focused mm-hmm. on real engagement, and trying not to get caught up in these numbers, because the old music business was all about week one. You know, you built up, you built right. up, and then right. what was that sound scan week one? And then sometimes right. it was even kind of forgotten by week two. You know? mm-hmm. They yeah. really mm-hmm. cared about that chart position in week one. Mm-hmm. And I think I see the industry kind of, and I'd love to get your take on this. I see people kind of changing that mentality, that mindset. And now they're looking at things like real engagement. You know, I, I love the data in, you know, platforms like Chartmetric and Sound Charts and, you know, Alpha Data and all these things. There's a new one you may have explored called uh, Vibrate. And what I love mm-hmm. about Vibrate is they've got a whole section just on engagement. You know, like I get it that you're getting more followers, you're getting more likes, you're getting more views mm-hmm. or whatever. But are you getting more engagement? you know, from your, your audience. So I, I, I kind of see a, a shift in the business. Are you seeing similar things? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, just, I guess one, um, yeah, like one idea that I like very much stand by now is that anything that involves data, especially in music, Mm -hmm. to an extent can be gamed. So if you, um, or at least on like a surface level. So like, so, like numbers, somebody will try and game it. Yes, Certainly. yes, 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 exactly. There will always be people. They may not and, get away with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like number of streams can be gamed. Followers can be gamed. Um, engagement 
I, I guess can be engaged, sorry, engagement can be gamed within like a short window, but that's like much easier to pick out like whether or not it's organic on the back end. If right. you just look at like, like a very basic thing. Yeah. If you have like super high engagement for like seven days and then for some reason it just like drops off suddenly because you stopped paying the company that was like buying these mm-hmm. <laughs> followers and, and likes and other activities for you. So yeah. Um, yeah so I think people are realizing that um, absolutely you should not take surface level metrics at face value and you should definitely be looking more at engagement. Um, I think, uh, yeah, especially in, in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the past four months, um, I think yeah. people, at, at least from my understanding, a cycle that a lot of um, artists maybe have taken for granted is that they could release their album on streaming, um, maybe not break even on it, or like if they're lucky, maybe make like a, uh, maybe profit off of it. Um, but then like touring is where the real engagement, the real money was. Mm-hmm, so yeah. like the streaming, the, the album is like a lead up to the tour. Right. And then like, that's where you really see your fans face to face. Whereas, so now that touring is uh, off the table for a while, what is the equivalent of that like really um, intimate and direct engagement online? I think that's a, that's a question that um, yeah. a lot of people are still exploring and asking and yeah, people are realizing that's a good it's question. Like, yeah, it's in, definitely in fact, not Spotify. You and I are both yeah. on this um, pro sessions thing this afternoon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things, um, one of the guests on there is uh, a band called the licorice quartet. It's three of the four guys from jellyfish. And one of the things mm-hmm. that they're doing to speak to your point is they're going back to kind of that pledge music model in some regards where it's selling the experiences, right? Mm. You mm. can't go out on the road, but how would you like to co-write a song with one of the guys in the band for mm. uh, for a fee? Would you like to have them play uh, certain instruments on your recording, or would you like them to remix one of your recordings? And you know, we could go on for hours, but that's one way that people are trying to be innovative in addition to kind of the live streaming and also these things like patreon where i know you're on patreon and for those who don't know it's really you're kind of subscribing to share it you're subscribing to you as kind of a brand and to some of the things that you write and and artists do that are there any other ways to create revenue engagement add value that are like some of the things that we just discussed yeah for sure so uh yeah, what's interesting is now it's it's becoming more clear kind of like how to segment all the different kinds of experiences that are happening online right now. So you have, um, I guess, like more or less free live streams on Instagram and Twitch, um, right. which can serve existing fans, but I feel like a lot of artists are also trying to use those to like grow their audiences online and like reach new fans as well. Um, so that's available to the widest group of people. Yeah. Um, artists are increasingly uh, experimenting with like ticketed live streams and seeing like whether there is Stay demand for that. Twitch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Twitch. You can, uh, I guess, yeah, you can get your streams behind like uh, also a monthly subscription paywall as well. Um, so there's that. And then there's uh, a really like, fast growing pool of startups that are focused specifically on fan meet and greet 
type experiences, which I guess aligns more with this example of um, like, hey, uh, sign up to like help write a song with me or um, but I'll, it's like, virtual advice. though, right? Yeah, it is virtual. Yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, th- there are a lot of startups that, or a lot of platforms that format it as a kind of like FaceTime style video chat where uh-huh. you can like screenshot the chat. Uh, the artist can sign a digital autograph. Um, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's innovative. And, it's different. You know, it's like Cameo.com, yeah. you know, where... Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's like Cameo. Yeah, so Cameo is, I guess, the biggest platform for that on the on-demand side. Yeah. Um, although they are they are going to live experiences now, but it's mostly just like a la carte, like videos, yeah, from celebrities. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see these these platforms grow and then also to see the resulting conversation yeah. about like value, especially online. Like, yeah. um, you know, like how, how much should I be charging? Like what's the right mm-hmm. like amount to charge for an online fan meet and greet experience or, or even just thinking about, yeah, like, like a wider diversity of experiences you can provide online aside yeah. from just releasing an album or yeah. um, posting on Instagram. I, I, I think, yeah. I think that's yeah. the challenge yeah. w- all of us, especially who are supporting bands, are seeing as everybody's jumping into the live stream world. Yeah. Bands initially are going into it going, okay, I'm just going to recreate my concert, my live yeah. bar appearance, my theater appearance. And, and, and I just had a conversation with somebody earlier this week where it's like, that's not what it's about. You're not doing, you shouldn't just be trying to recreate what was happening in the real world mm. you need to look at how can you enhance it and make it even more interesting in the online world because you've got so much more opportunity mm. Mm. You, you, yeah. you know everything from just simply it doesn't have to be a 10 song set that you start playing and you end playing but stop between every song and take five ten minutes and share the stories answer mm. questions on to the next song bring in the producer and have the producer do a Q&A in the midst of all of this stuff that wouldn't fly if you're in front of a thousand people in a yeah, theater exactly. right. but mm. in, in a more you know live streaming is, sure. is actually a bit of a more intimate event because it's one person maybe a few yeah. people on the other end in one room but you can get so creative and I think that's the challenge right now is getting artists to go all right, let's just throw out recreating a live show. Let's invent yeah. something brand new. What am I doing? And there's yeah. no rules. That's the great yeah. thing. I think people are getting a little burned out on live streams in general. Um, but I do see people doing some innovative things. And I wonder if they're going to take this with them after the pandemic. For example, yeah. you know, Michael and I have talked about this. There's a, a band um, I work with called The Accidentals. And they were doing this daily breather. Mm. So they get on. They light a candle. They all have their tea. They take a deep breath with you. They talk about something they're thankful for and they play a song and they were doing that every day at noon and it got to be a real part of my day, you know, to do Mm. that, that daily breather. Mm. And it wasn't selly. It wasn't like buy my album, see my show kind of things. But the the thing that kind of uh, keeps me up at night is what's going to happen when this pandemic's over, and I think we, we would all agree that it's not going to be over on a Thursday at five and okay, we're back to normal. It's going to be this long right. thing. Yeah. But let's just, as we ramp back up into a new normal, 
do you think these tools that we're all learning, Twitch, you know, stage it, live streaming, experiences, um, better engagement, do you think these tools were going to roll into our arsenal or do you think we're just going to forget about them? Mm. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this kind of question is really hard to predict, but <laughs> my, <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like, hmm, I feel like my answer to this question may also be like slightly colored by what I also would want to see personally, but, um, sure. yeah, but okay. So, so I, my, my sense is that, uh, yeah, we're getting to the point where people, so I feel like two months ago, a lot of people were like, oh, this will be over by October and we'll go back yes. to touring. Now I yep. think that's like very much not the case. Um, and so <laughs> with, <laughs> so, so with that realization, uh, I think people are now interested in investing um, longer term in like tech solutions or in like incorporating tech into their careers and businesses, um, live streaming being like the, the primary example um, to, to the point where I, th I think we like once touring comes back, there probably will be some kind of um, hybrid model available because th th there's so many different factors to consider. It's It's not just, it's, it's not just like how comfortable the artists are. It's also how comfortable fans are with going outside to shows. I think that is also like so totally up in the air. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. And so for those who are not as comfortable, but who are interested in experiencing a show, um, how, like how can you cater to like multiple kinds of audiences with multiple preferences? So, so I, think, I, think, I think there will be, I guess that will be adopted more on the venue level. Um, like uh, kind of like a hybrid in-person and live streaming kind of model. And then um, also from, from what I've seen on Twitch, there are a lot of artists who um, would have never thought to live stream regularly in like previously who have really embraced Instagram and Twitch um, like really well, really effectively. And um, that's been like their, their primary way of like reaching out to fans now. Um, one, artist who comes to mind is MXM Tune. I don't know if you know of her, but I think she, she may have been on Twitch a little bit before, but she was mostly um, on, on TikTok and um, had like released a couple of albums and, and EPs as well. Gotcha. Um, but she is like also super into gaming. And so she decided, oh, I'm stuck at home. Might as well start streaming on Twitch. And like, she goes live almost every day or at least like multiple times a week and um, wow. nothing to do with music at all, but she like has a personality for it. Um, and it's been like really effective for her. So um, yeah, like maybe of course, like if she goes on tour, there'll be less, there'll just be like less time in the day to, yeah. to do it that regularly. But I think in terms of like where, uh, I guess where her online audience uh, thinks to go to watch her and, but like and, and engage with her twitch is like very much an ingrained part of that now so um gotcha. so yeah e even if it like dips a little bit i don't think it'll go away entirely yeah you know yeah. all 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 of this discussion on these new tech tools and engagement it it all comes back to what we first started this conversation of you know why doesn't the dsps have more hooks and social mm. networking because, you know, I came up in, in working on websites and e-commerce. And, you know, the number one goal is you want to increase the time people spend on your website. 
You want to mm. keep them in your website because if they're yeah. in your website, they're not somewhere else. They're there. Yeah. And the longer they stay there, the more opportunity you have to get them to do something else within your world. Mm. Why, you know, you know, why Spotify? Can we not have something that keeps our fans in Spotify because they can, mm. they can chat, they can listen, they can get, why not put a hook that takes a YouTube stream and streams it live on your, your profile page on Spotify that, you know, now come mm. watch my live stream here. Mm. Oh, while you're here, you can also listen to my new music and you can do this. I, I feel like that's part of our challenge here is we're always being forced to drive our fans away from the music. Mm. Some mm. other platform, mm. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram yeah. which, you know, yes, there's music there, but they're not primarily music consumption platforms. We're forced yeah. to drive people away from the consumption platform to another outlet where all this engagement can happen. And then while they're there, we've got to remind them, oh, go back to Spotify. Yes, I was just going to say, it's like, yeah, it's either, it's like always pushing away in either direction. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that, yeah. that's <laughs> the problem. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, oh yes. I, I, I was going to mention this earlier. I think it is super interesting that, um, I, I, yeah, I think Spotify is not integrated with, um, platforms like bands in town to be able to display like a live stream schedule on an artist's profile page. I think so from all the profiles that I've clicked into, if they are listening a tour, I think because Spotify's main partnership is with Songkick, Songkick or maybe with Ticketmaster. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. Ticketmaster is not handling live streams right now. So, so you're seeing um, like scheduled in-person tour dates, which right. either um, are not accurate because they've been postponed or they're like super far off um, right. in like, like several months from now. So you're like, okay, yeah. this is maybe not that relevant to me. When in reality, the artist may be going live on yeah, like a place like Instagram or Twitch, like every single week. And mm -hmm. um, you won't be able to find that out on Spotify, which, yeah, I think is a huge gap because people who are on Spotify are likely either on, like, obviously on a device. And so we'll probably be watching something on, on one of those devices um, and maybe are already like leaning into live streams. And so, yeah, in terms of just like information and awareness, that, that's still a huge gap. On, yeah. on any streaming service. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's just so many disconnects between all of the services. Yeah. And it's always, you know, brings a smile to my face when I see somebody going, oh, we're going to integrate the API from this guy. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means yet, but it's good when there's an API <laughs> talking to each other because <laughs> right. now we can start doing stuff together. Yeah, yeah. And sharing yeah. data, share, you know, not... Yeah not forcing somebody to leave. And um, mm. yeah, I just feel like that's, that's the big miss right now. And, yeah, maybe and listen, I, and, and I don't want this to come across like I'm bashing Spotify because I love Spotify. I think, you know, they, they're doing a great job. I just feel like nobody has nailed the social network in the music space. Mm. Mm. Or even engagement in engagement, general. Yeah. You know, with, how do I the, the fan? How and do I the engage artist. with my fans on yeah. Spotify? Simple as that. Mm. How do I do that? I can't unless mm. you are 
uber artist who has been invited into beta testing some new feature that's got limited rollout, you know, the, the vast majority of us are just go there, listen, come back here and leave your comment. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then tell your fans to go back to Spotify and listen to you. Yeah. Later. <laughs> Hey, um, Sherry, honestly, we, we could probably talk to you for another three hours, but we are running up against the clock, and I, I always love our conversations, and I, I hope you'll come back. But before we kind of wrap up, tell, tell the folks, like, where, where can they find you, and where can they, you know, get water and music and listen to the podcast, and where can they find you? Yeah, so um, I guess for, for me personally, I uh, do have a website, which you can visit at sherryhu.com. And I'm also on Twitter quite a bit, so you can reach me there and follow me there as well. My handle is at sherryhu42, numbers four and two. And um, for my newsletter, uh, the main Patreon page is just patreon.com slash waterandmusic. Um, and that's all spelled out, all lowercase. And um, you also sign up for my newsletter. There's a link on the Patreon page or... Um, just a short link bit.ly slash water and music should take you there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, much. so much for joining us, Sherry. Always yeah, a pleasure. You well. Your insight is great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. That was such a great, insightful conversation, Jerry. Um, and, and you know what? I kind of feel like it went in a complete right turn from where we kind of intended to go with this episode with her. Which was great. Which was great because it ended up being such an interesting conversation. Yeah. And we really could talk with her for hours. I don't know if you remember, we had her on the show one other time, but you couldn't be on. And I was at a Starbucks and yeah, yeah, I was in a outside of a Starbucks and, Colorado visiting my daughter at college so it wasn't like the real conversation that we would normally have and she's one of the brightest um, researchers writers in the business right now and I encourage everybody to google Sherry who and follow her writing and I mean she writes for all the top um, outlets and she's she's really doing the research herself and it's it's always an insightful conversation yeah very much so very much so um, so before we wrap up, just a quick reminder, um, we want to do a shout out actually to, uh, hypebot.com bands in town. Thank you so much for everything you do to continue to share our podcast every week. Appreciate it out there. It means so much. And discmakers.com head over there. People get that little, uh, offer we put together at the beginning of the show that we let, we, we read to you. Um, Discmakers.com is a great sponsor. Thank you so much. If you're listening on Spotify, hit that green follow button. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube, subscribe. And iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review and a rating. See, look at that, Jay. Got to go all of these different places. I know. Why isn't there one place? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's it. Music Biz Weekly Podcast. We're out of here. We'll see everybody next week.